Today on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21, with a message entitled, The Master's Touch. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Uh, As we would have it this morning, um, we teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And I do not pre-plan these things. In fact, I usually finish sermons on Saturday night. Not because I'm dogging it during the week, just so you guys know. But I work on the sermon all week long, and then I kind of button everything up on Saturday. And I go through everything one more time and pray through it. And it struck me early this week that we are at a text on Mother's Day that deals primarily with two ladies that get touched by Jesus. One is a woman with a flow of blood. She's been dealing with the disease for 12 years and have, she's found no cure. And she's tapped out her resources and I'll tell you more about her. And then the other one that's going to be touched by Jesus in this story is a 12-year-old girl. Uh, just going into the flower of womanhood in Jewish culture. Um, for boys, the age was 13. That's when you did your bar mitzvah and you became a son of the law. You became accountable for yourself. But for girls, it was 12. And many of you have heard the stories, you know, scholars have said that Mary was very young when the angel appeared to her because in that culture, they got married at very young ages. So she would just be entering into what she would be, what would be considered early womanhood. And of course, you all know, I think, familiar with the Bible that, you know, she's uh, desperately sick and then she dies in this story. I will tell you, parents, there's a little bit of adult content in this message, just so you know if you have a child with you. The Master's Touch is the message from Mark 5. We'll pick the story up at verse 21. Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus crossed over again in the boat to the other side, now you guys will remember that if you are with us last Sunday, Jesus went to the other side of the lake. That was the eastern side, the, the cultic, pagan side where the pig was the sacred animal and where the pagans and the Jews kind of mixed together and there was a lot of occult activity. And it would appear that Jesus went over there just for the purpose to touch this demonized man. And he did that very thing. And remember, he sent the uh, demons into the swine and we had that incredible scene where the pigs run over the edge of the cliff into the sea and the people are freaked out, and everybody's, you know, the one happy guy is the man who's been healed. Everybody else seems to be unhappy at the loss, or Jesus just kind of freaks them out or whatever. And so they tell him, shockingly, to leave. Please go away. And he honors that request, and he gets into the boat, and the man who has been healed in his right mind, clothed now, says, Lord, I want to go with you. Please take me with you. And Jesus says, no, you stay here. And you go tell your family, go tell your friends the great things that the Lord has done for you. Go tell those people how the Lord had mercy on you. And he began to share in the Decapolis, the, that's the ten cities on that side of the lake, the things that God had done for him. And Jesus would return 
But now he goes back to the west side of the lake. The west side of the lake, scholars, the consensus would be that he goes back to a place called Capernaum. And we've talked a lot about that place. And that's kind of on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so he crosses over again. And we have, as we watch Jesus, we know that he's into divine appointments. I believe that he already has this planned out. I believe in his uh, omniscience, he's God. He already knows that these two encounters are going to occur. And that's at least part of the reason why he's gone back to this area. Last time he was there, by the way, Mark 3, we believe, also happened in Capernaum. And you guys, if you study through Mark with us, you know he went into the synagogue and they probably planted a man there with a withered hand. And they were watching Jesus closely to see what he would do and whether he would have compassion on the man and heal the man. And of course, Jesus did. But in Mark 3, 5, just to kind of jog your memory, when Jesus knew why they were watching him, he got angry. This is an interesting verse in Mark 3, 5. It says he was angry. And the, the Greek word means he was angry. And he was grieved in his heart. I know that's deep. You guys have your coffee already? Everybody all right? So he was angry. God does get angry. Righteous anger is God's way. And it's okay if you get angry as long as it's righteous. Okay? Most 91 freeway anger is unrighteous. Just so you know. But he was also grieved in his heart at their hardness of heart. What's interesting is that we're about to meet a man named Jairus, Jairus, who's the synagogue leader, most likely in Capernaum. And it may well be that the last encounter that Jairus has had with Jesus, get this, is an encounter where he was part of the unbelieving group and Jesus was angry at their unbelief and hardness of heart. It may well be that Jairus is part of that group. And at the end of that account, just to remind you, it said that the Pharisees and the Herodians, those in league with the Herods, joined forces to figure out how they might destroy Jesus. This man who's going to come with a desperate plea in our story ahead of us about his daughter may be one of the men that Jesus was grieved over and even angry about the hardness of heart. But I will tell you this, it gives hope to us that just because you have a response to the gospel that's not positive, and maybe even your heart's hard, it doesn't mean that God won't give you a second chance. I'm glad He gave me a second chance because the first time I was exposed to Christianity, and I grew up in a Catholic household, but the first time I ever went to an evangelical church, I was freaked out, literally, by the people. In fact, I thought you all were bananas, frankly. It took about a year where I ended up in another church, and then the Lord graciously drew me to Himself. And so here's Jesus. He crosses over to the uh, other side of the lake, probably Capernaum. Look at 21. In the boat to the other side. A great Remember, there was a group of boats that traveled together. A great multitude gathered about Him. He couldn't go anywhere without this great throng of people. And He stayed by the seashore. Luke 8.40. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all deal with this story says, as Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him. They were excited, for they had all been waiting for him. Luke 8, verse 40. 
And maybe some of them thought, you know, I don't know if he's coming back. Will he return to this place? I mean, it was his adopted hometown, but you never know. And so people were excited that he had returned. They had never seen anything like this. And one of the synagogue officials, look at verse 22, Mark 5, named Jairus, came up and upon seeing him fell at his feet. Now we would conjecture here that Jairus has been waiting with bated breath for Jesus and he's one of the very excited people that Jesus has returned because what's been happening behind the scenes is he has a sick little girl. We find out from another Gospel writer that it's his only daughter. And so he's been waiting and maybe he's one of these these people that have has just been saying, Lord, would you please return? Please send Jesus back here because my little girl's sick and I can't find answers. In, uh, in verse 22, he's a synagogue official and the language here probably indicates that he is the chief synagogue official. You might ask, well, what does that mean, Pastor Michael? The Greek words... Uh, a synagogue official may imply that he is the highest ranking religious official in the city of Capernaum. What this means is he supervised the worship services, selected the person who would lead in prayer, who would do the scripture reading. That may be that mean that he chose Jesus to give a reading. He oversaw the work of the other elders, which included teaching, adjudicating disputes, and other such leadership duties. Maybe a way for us to think about it in a contemporary group like this is that he was a lead pastor or a senior pastor of a church it's a little different but that's kind of how it works he was making the decisions he's probably the highest ranking individual in the city maybe even like something like a bishop of the area i was reading one commentary this week that said jairus may well have been a pharisee himself and if he was a pharisee then he was probably among that group of unbelieving uh, leaders who looked upon Jesus with disdain and even watched him in the synagogue earlier heal the man with the withered hand. And maybe that's part of what gave Jairus hope is that if he could do that, then he could heal my daughter. And so, you know, it's interesting. We're about to uh, see a woman come up to Jesus who's tapped out and she's an outcast and a man who's probably one of the most prominent men in the city. He's, he's probably very wealthy, well-to-do, has a lot of religious friends, but religion has not given him the answers to this now crisis dilemma. And a lot of people find that faith is born in adversity. Maybe they were religious before, but they did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is a difference. You can find yourself going through the motions as Someone who's religious. You can show up. You can, you can wear the right clothes and say the right things and abstain from certain things and say, I'm, I'm a God follower. But we all need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And this is Jairus. He is going to come up to Jesus. He came up 22. Upon seeing him, notice, he fell at his feet. There's a huge crowd there. So Jairus says, not hesitated to humble himself before Jesus. And the fact that he, he fell down or bowed down in Luke's Gospel is proskuneo in Greek, and it's the word used for worship. Now, I don't know that Jairus is worshiping Jesus, but he's humbling himself, and that's a good start. He does not have the answers to the question about his daughter and what to do. 
And sometimes in desperate situations, that's where faith is born, and that can be a really good thing. You don't have the answers, and you don't have anywhere else to go. Turning to Jesus is uh, obviously the option that we all, maybe for many of us, that's how we came to faith. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. We'll be back to the teaching. I want to tell you about a special offer at walkintruth.com. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It will help you to know how to put on the armor, how to deal with temptation, how to deal with the lies of the enemy, and how to walk in victory. Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. If you go to walkintruth.com, the shipping's on us. Check it out. That's walkintruth.com, the book Suit Up. Free shipping. Go there today. God bless you. And so here he is, Luke 8.41, he fell at Jesus' feet and he began to entreat him to come to his house. He fell down, bowed down before him. Matthew's account, Matthew 9.18 says, my daughter has just died. The other gospel writers say that she's dying. You might ask the question, why the difference in the accounts? It would seem that Matthew truncates his story. He kind of his story is more brief than the expanded accounts of Mark and Luke, and I think that's how you understand the differences in the Gospel writers here. And he bows very much like the man with the legion did. You know, some, some days, uh, you know, when everything else is stripped away, you just say something like this, just give me Jesus, man. I don't want all the other stuff. In the morning when I rise, remember the song? In the morning when I rise. Just give me Jesus. He's what I need. Not all the other stuff. Just give me the Lord. I, I want to know Jesus. Do you ever just bow in prayer sometimes and just say, Lord, just I, I just want to know you better. That's my singular desire. And all of his buddies around, all the people who know this prominent leader, could you imagine being one of the people, you know, you know this is the religious leader this is, the, this is the pastor. This is, this is the man, the religious man. And what's he doing? He's on the seashore on his face before Jesus. And you may have recognized this man as one who doubted Jesus and questioned Jesus and maybe even a group that wanted to destroy him. And now what's Jairus doing? You have to be shocked. Isn't that the synagogue leader? Isn't that the man that questioned whether... Jesus was even a legit leader, let alone someone that you could fall at his feet and maybe believe that he's Messiah? Yeah, that's him. Huge crowd, religious leaders. Maybe some of the other religious leaders are disdaining the situation like, oh no, not him too. We didn't think he'd get caught up in the hype. But remember, his little girl's sick. She's dying. And the religious man has decided that Jesus is the answer. And so he falls at his face. Have you realized that Jesus is the answer for your life as well? Have you ever had a moment where you just fell on your face? Just said, Lord, you're the only one who can give life to me. And so here's this little girl. But it's the dad. It's the father of the little girl. Jairus' wealth and prestige cannot save his daughter he surely would have taken her place if he could. Maybe, I don't know how long this went on, but maybe he prayed, Lord, let it happen to me. Let me take her place. I'm sure any parent could relate to that, but he was beyond natural help. 
Now, if you're Jesus and Jairus is part of this group that potentially mocked you, doubted you, and maybe even was part of the group that was planning to destroy you, and he said, please come to my house. My little girl's dying. If you were Jesus, what would you do? Oh, yeah? Oh, now you need me. You know, my humanity starts thinking of responses like that. Oh, now you want to believe. Now you come. Now you're humbled, right? You saw me heal the man with a withered hand and you wouldn't believe before. In fact, you had a hard heart. Now, since you're in a crisis, aren't you glad that God's not that way? God will still make Himself available in crisis situations. And oftentimes, can I get a witness, that's usually when our prayer life is ramped up. You know, airplanes is usually where my prayer life Improves the most. Oh, Lord, keep this bird in the air, Lord. Right? You ever stand on the earth and just watch a plane and just go, sheesh, why does anybody get on those things? Because if anything bad happens, it's not good. I don't know where your prayer life improves, but I'm sure maybe this is the hardest that Jairus has ever prayed. And Jesus doesn't look at him and say, get up, wipe the sand off your face. Too bad. Let your religion take care of it. No. Jesus went with him. What would you do? What would you do if you had a friend that mocked your Christianity and then in a crisis they said to you, I would like to go to church with you today. Would you pray for me? Yeah, right. I want you to grovel a little bit more. Stay down there. For... That's not Jesus. And so Jesus, look at 24, Mark 5. He went off with him. And a great multitude was following him, a huge crowd, and pressing in on him. The Greek word here means to compress. The crowd, if you've ever been in a crowd that's trying to move and it's just so tight and if you're claustrophobic, it's even worse, right? I mean, people can barely move and, and, you know, now everybody's kind of, I'm sure there was a stunned silence when Jairus walked up. I'm sure everybody was kind of loud and boisterous and then all of a sudden the crowd got silent and they're kind of waiting to see what Jesus would do here. What's he going to do? And off they go, and everybody's following. Crowds kind of mashing together. And Jesus' heart of compassion is on display. When Jesus overlooked the multitudes, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. They were scattered and downcast. And the Bible says he had compassion on them. And he said, Pray to the Lord of the harvest, it'll send out what? More workers. Are you willing to be a worker? You know, probably the singular requirement. If you want to go out into the harvest field, is compassion. Compassion should drive everything that you do. Compassion should be the, the reason that you witness. Not comfortableness. We all know it's uncomfortable to try to tell someone about Jesus. But compassion should drive us. Do you agree? Hmm. I'm not sure. That was a little weak. See, sometimes I just have to pray, Lord, just stir compassion in me. If I really believe there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, then stir compassion in me. Change my heart. Make me more like You. I don't want to just read these stories. I want to live these stories. 
I want to be part of the answer. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples because of your love, one for another. Now this crowd is a great picture of humanity, desperate, in need of life. All, you know, all kinds of different situations in this crowd, and, and they follow. And that's what we do. The Lord is my shepherd. We follow Him. We're sheep. Despair is often the prelude to grace, says R. Kent Hughes. And this is an incredible scene. It's a route. It's a walk. It's the walk of faith. Literally, Jairus is walking with Jesus. Or, if you want to put it another way, Jesus is walking with Him. You know, we often make it about us. Would you walk with me today, Lord? I think the Lord says, would you walk with me? How about you take the walk with me? How about you follow me? But the Lord is so gracious, and, and here He's moving along. Now the crowd's probably, it's probably a slow boat you know, to try to get anywhere with this many people. And all of a sudden, another character comes into the story. 25. And a woman who had a hemorrhage. This is a flux or a flowing issue of blood. She had the hemorrhage for, would you notice, 12 years. A 12-year-old girl, Luke tells us, and a woman with a hemorrhage for 12 years, both will be touched. What is going on with this number 12? Well, if you're a Jew and you hear 12, what do you think of? 12 tribes. You know, we as New Covenant Christians, we think of 12 apostles. We think of 12,000 from each of the tribes in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. The, the number 12 was very significant. And for a Jewish mind, it, immediately you think of the nation. Because the 12 tribes make up what? The nation of Israel. 12 sons of Jacob. And so all of a sudden, you got 12 repeated twice. I don't think it's by accident. Here's the underlying message Pastor Michael's take. You, Israel, are bleeding. You have an incurable wound. And the healer has come. And if you want the bleeding to stop in your nation and stop in your life, reach out the hand of faith. Do not let him pass you by. I think this is the message. I think for those who are reading this story, you know, sometimes in sports, when a team is getting crushed, the announcer will say, they got to find a way to stop the bleeding, man. That's right. And that's a metaphor for they're in deep trouble. They're getting slaughtered. Something's got to change. And here's the nation of Israel. The Messiah has come. They're under Roman domination and occupation. They're not a free people. And the Messiah has come to set them free. And here's a woman with this flow of blood, 12 years. Some, uh, this would be called chronic hemorrhaging. Some believe that she may have a tumor on her uterus. But we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that the language seems to indicate that she constantly bleeds and it never stops. I mean, this is a desperate situation. And she, she is a woman, you know, according to Jewish law, you're unclean when this is happening because they, 
The book of Leviticus says that if a woman is in menstruation, she remains unclean. And so there's, there's a lot of detail in the book of Leviticus about this, but because of her situation, here's the bottom line. She becomes a carrier of uncleanness. Everybody she touches, everywhere she sits, the bed that she lies on automatically becomes unclean in Jewish culture. And so it may well be that because of her unending sickness, her husband has divorced her because he can't be with her because it makes him unclean. So she may have been married and now divorced. And a lot of the people who saw conditions like this said that this was probably a result of some sort of sexual sin. And of course, in that culture, if you had anything wrong with you, they always tried to blame it on something that you did wrong. And that's not the case, by the way. Sometimes we get sick and it's a direct result of something we've done, but oftentimes it's just a fallen world that we live in. Welcome, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Walk in Truth Radio, and I'm sitting here in the studio with Pastor Michael, and you've just heard a segment on his study in Mark chapter 5, The Master's Touch. Pastor Michael, for me, I love this section of Scripture because it's faith in motion. And we see two people that are being affected here. We see a woman here who has a blood flow of 12 years and a loving father who wants to have his daughter healed of a, of a sickness. They know that they cannot on their own be fixed or healed. What is it that drives us to faith? Well, in these cases, Oscar, it's two situations that are very desperate, right? I mean, it's... Uh... It's a, a woman who has gone, exhausted her money with doctors, with physicians, and she's finding no solution to her problem. And she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, right, I'll be healed. Desperation. Um, and then Jairus, you know, um, synagogue leader, mm-hmm. uh, probably would have been very hesitant to come to Jesus the way he did. But, you know, his only daughter is sick. And uh, my goodness, uh You know, you have a sense that Jesus is the Messiah and nothing else matters because his focus is on he wants his daughter to be made well. And of course, you know, Jesus does an incredible miracle there. So Oscar, what drives us to faith often for the first time is the reality that we're not in control. The reality that um, life throws us all kinds of curveballs and all kinds of things that we just cannot We don't have the answers to. And here's Jesus uh, touching two lives, radically transforming them for time and for eternity uh, by the beauty of his power and the gracious touch uh, that he's willing to give someone who will come to him and just say, Lord, I don't have the answer, so I'm coming to you. So this is uh, Walk in Truth, and my name is Michael Lance. Um, I'm here with Oscar Santa Cruz, Andy Chapel on the board today. And uh, we just want to say that you can find out more on this information if you would go to the website and uh, check out the store. There's a lot of products on there and a lot of things that you can check out. We'll be telling you more and more about the store, but it's all found at walkintruth.com. We appreciate you listening. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website 
walkintruth.com.